Hello, welcome back. Thanks for joining us at Crux Investors. We've got Alex Black and Hayden Lott here talking to Matt Gordon about the Chilean landscape, how it's changing, why we're all very positive on it. Welcome, guys. Oh, that 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 was good. That was good. If you ever, if mine doesn't work out, you you've got a job here. Um, Hayden, <laughs> Hayden, Alex, thanks for joining us. Like, um, we kind of made contact, reached out to you guys. Just want to try and understand what's going on over there in, in South America. Lots of sort of quite n- negative uh, narrative coming out of there, and obviously Chile, uh, no exception with uh, some of the commentary around the politics there. So we're just going to catch up on that and and maybe touch upon a few of the other kind of big topics of the moment with, um, around uh, funding and. Uh, uh, ESG um, it, it for mining at the moment. Of course, uh, why don't we why don't we why don't we kick off with the politics though? Alex, you and I had a great conversation a few weeks ago, and we we, we put out an article, we'll put links to uh, to both of those below, uh, with regards to what's happening. Now, you made a prediction. Did you get it right? Well, it wasn't a prediction. Um, you know, I'm not not Nostradamus as as Hayden might like to say. Um, you know, it was based on you know, information that I dug up in conjunction with our independent legal counsel and and other people in Chile about where the process was going and the fact that nationalisation of the mining industry was just not on the agenda at all and and would never never make it. Obviously, it was discussed in the uh, constitutional reform process, but it just didn't make it. So um, it was just providing everybody with some background as to what the constitutional process was all about and to to help them see that Chile, you know, wasn't turning 180 degrees to uh, a country that we don't recognise anymore. I mean, Chile has been at the forefront of mining in Latin America for the last 20 to 30 years um, and uh, I don't think there's any real change to that. Um, but saying what I did in that interview was just to help people understand the process of what was being talked about within the country. Okay, so you turned that to be right. So, so it may not be Nostradamus, but you, you, you called it correctly. Um, however, the markets turned at exactly that moment. So there was no kind of um, benefit or, or upside um, to that, that outcome. For, well, certainly not for Chilean uh, uh, miners or, or, or any, any investors looking into Chile. So Hayden, how do you... How, how do you call? It? Do you think there eventually will be some sort of benefit or recognition of what's what um, actually the outcome was, and um, this kind of negatively will go away, and investors will come back into country? No, hundred percent. But the the news that Alex was talking about, where the nationalised agenda, uh, nationalisation agenda was rejected, and some other uh, sort of proposals that would have weakened property rights in the country were rejected, are undeniably. Positive, and it's just unfortunate that the global market decided to take a leg down at exactly that moment. But eventually, as with all things, the pendulum will swing back and we'll see renewed interest into what we think is a 10-year copper cycle, an incredibly important um, new commodity super cycle. It's, it's kind of interesting because we, we've been at a few shows um, recently talking to a few investor groups, the institutional they're taking advantage of the situation. They're seeing it as an opportunity to actually load up. But retail aren't there yet. I mean, w- w- are you seeing that too, Alex? Is there so, still a nervousness with some of your shareholders? What's, what's your inbound get telling you? Yeah, look, I mean, you know, re- retail is pretty skittish, as, as we all know. And, um, you know, the, the, the retail sector has a lot of competition from, from a retail investor perspective. You know, we have Bitcoin, we have 
you know, every other part of the, the general market that people can pile into and, and, and invest in. Uh, and then you've got the resource sector. And obviously, people look at the gold price and, and Hayden's in copper, I'm in gold, but, you know, gold's been uh, quite a good performer given the um, underperformance of the general market in the US. Gold's been pretty resilient around the, the 1850 mark and, um, you know, has outperformed the general indexes um, for the year because they're down, I don't know, about 20-odd 20, 20 percent or so. So, but but unfortunately, when when the general market goes down, and particularly in our case, we've got quite a lot of US retail shareholders. When the when the general market goes down, our stock gets sold down as well. Um, and then you know when that market recovers, people come back into the stock. It's it's really funny and it's very very uh, volatile from our perspective. Right. So if, if we, if, honestly, sorry to interrupt, but um, if I'm looking at the metal prices out there, it's been a great 18 months for across the board. I can't think of anything that hasn't benefited over that time. However, there's a real divergence um, be- between the metal prices and equities, partly because if there's a kind of, a, a kind of mass uh, d- downtrend in the market across all uh, verticals, you know, t- technology, biotech, so everything is, is down at the moment. Um, people are a little bit nervous. Um, what, would your recommendation be to retail about how they should look at the metals market at, at the moment? Are they right to be um, risk off, cash in hand? It, it, well, in my 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 opinion, you know, there's a there's a lot of factors out there that are that are still out of everybody's control. What's the Fed going to do? What's going to happen to interest rates? Um, um, what is the value of holding cash going to be uh, in, in comparison to those um, influences? So, you know, the resource sector is a, a very tiny market mm. um, when you compare it to everything that people can invest in uh, globally. So, you know, we just get bounced around. It's it's like being a little ball on the sea, you know, in, in a storm. So I, 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 I don't have an answer. And I... I I try and tell retail, I don't try and tell retail what to do. What I do say in our case, in our story, and probably the same in Hayden's story, is that you need to have an investor mentality about our story. Reason being is, you know, we're building a mine, right? Hayden's going to do a feasibility study and then he's going to build a mine. Uh, We're building a mine right now and uh, we'll be in production next year. So you have to be in it for the longer term. Whereas, as you know, retail and a lot of stocks are there for, you know, the good news and, you know, maybe maybe make some money and, and move on to the next story, et cetera. That's not going to happen with our story, right? Um, and, uh, you know, what we hope will happen to our story is what you see with companies like Warzone who are just about completed their build in, um, in Burkina Faso is that they've had a re-rating over the last 12 months um, because they're firmly into construction and firmly um, going to be in production by the end of this year. So hopefully that happens to all of us. And Hayden's going to do his feasibility study. He's going to get more certainty about what his project looks like. He's going to go into the EIA process like we are at the moment. Uh, we're at the end of our EIA process. Um, so, you know, retail investors have to look at that from a, from a longer-term vision 
perspective, I think, uh, in the case of our two stories. Okay. Well, hey, let's come to you. Come on, you, you, you've worked on the finance side um, as, as well. Uh, you, you, you've walked those streets. Some retailers saying to me, we're going to wait, we're, we're, we're risk off, we're going to call the bottom right, and then we're going to plow into, back into the space. I mean, as a strategy, uh, what do you think? Well, I mean, to look at the, the greatest investors on earth on their belief on whether or not you can call the bottom or call the top in any way, shape or form. Um, I think you've got to ignore the short term noise, which is what's happening right now. And you've got to take a step back and say, what do I believe is going to happen in the next 10, 15 years? And, you know, these, as I think you had an interview with Ross Beatty at one point, and he talked about geopolitical risk as, as one example of investing in mining, you have to ignore the short-term noise because it is like a pendulum in a cyclical market. It will swing back um, in your favour at some point and it's about pick, picking the best assets. So from my perspective, I'm looking at this as an opportunity and all the things that I thought were looking expensive previously are now looking much more appetising for me personally um, outside of my own story, Maramaka. Um, and in the long term, you know, I can't, I keep coming back to if we really believe that we're going to try and decarbonize the global economy um, and we really believe that inflation is here, uh, what's the best, what are the best things for you to own? And they are real assets. Okay. And uh, so the investment thesis remains. Okay. So investment thesis for um, copper, well understood. Investment thesis for gold, well understood. It's, however, the rules haven't, haven't applied really. In the last eighteen months, like I say, this is a divergence between metal prices and, and commodity uh, equity prices. Um, so, what are the things that again for, for for retail, for high net worth, for family offices, what should they be focused on? You, you've talked about you know you know being the story for, for for the long run, Alex. You're talking about the re rates that you get when you sort of move towards uh, production, um, which you know which you, you will see and, and, and Hayden will see in, in your stories. But right now, what's important? And what's not? What are people getting distracted by and what should they be focused on? Alex, that one's for you. What are they getting distracted by? You know, I, 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 there's just too much information out there. There's too much noise. That's that's what I see. And, and look, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an older guy. I'm a boomer. Um, obviously active in social media. I look at social media um, quite a bit and, and follow what's going on. And it, uh, there's just just too much noise. And, uh, you know, the old days of, I remember when you had to go to a stockbroker and buy a share and you get a share certificate and all those, I mean, <laughs> all that romance about owning a, a, a gold stock or a, or, a, or a metal stock is it's gone. Um, now it's just a, you know, press of a keyboard. Um, so I, I, I don't know the answer to that. But, uh, but isn't, isn't more information more information? I said more information is good. More data points are good. Is, are you, or are you saying actually but we're, too we're, many? We're information in a pool of huge, you know, um, infinite information. I mean, there's just so much information out there about the world, right? And once again, we're competing, right? The gold business competes, and, and I've said this before, and I think we've we've had a conversation about this in a group chat some somewhere along the way about the World Gold Council and how you, you know what are they doing for 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 the industry to compete against investment other alternative investment opportunities like Bitcoin, who've just come out of nowhere and it just you know caught the imagination of everybody from a 15-year-old to 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 a 90-year-old. So um 
all this noise, that's what I call the noise, is, is taking a lot of focus away from us. I find it quite amazing that you have junior, sorry, senior producers in both copper and gold, uh, predominantly in gold, who, who have been year after year over the last three years, for example, have generated record um, cash flows and, 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 and profits and, and, uh, and, and, and cash in general, who are just getting ignored, right? Mm. Just getting ignored by the market. So obviously, why are they getting ignored by the market from a valuation perspective and, and a share appreciation perspective is because there's just too much other stuff out there for people to invest in. That's my, you know, very basic opinion. Okay, so but there's, there's too much too much noise, too much data, and too too much distraction. So come back to my point. What is the thing that is important? The fact that you companies like both of yours, which will get into production, is is that what they need to be looking at? I mean, and if so, how do you spot the companies which aren't able to get into production? I mean, Hayden, do you want to have a crack at that? Well, I think information is actually a benefit in that sense. But, you know, I think if I take a step back and look at what's driving short-term decision-making at the moment uh, in, in a large degree, and I think I would split it between retail and institutional, but the retail is fear. You know, right now, everybody's watching their hard-earned dollars go backwards and they're, they're thinking, well, God, I, I don't know where the world's going to go next. And so maybe I'm thinking about selling rather than buying, which is the complete opposite of the advice of the, you know, if you read the best investors in the world, um, saying that now is the time that you should be looking at the high quality stories and adding to your name. And then I think on the institutional side and, and particularly on the generalists, because the point Alex makes is a very good one. Mining is a small subset of the global investment economy. And as a result, generalist investors don't look at mining almost until it's too late, almost until the horse has bolted and we're into a super cycle and they're, they're then chasing, chasing the money and putting money to work, which will have an impact at some point. But I think one of the things, and it was, a, it was a, a, an older fund manager who is exceptionally experienced gave me this anecdote. He's like, a lot of these new fund managers have never experienced the cycle like we're going through right now. And at the moment, they're just sitting thinking, what the hell do I do with my exposure to Amazon, Google, you know, the alphabet stocks, the fangs that are down 20, 30%. And, you know, even, even more of those stocks, I can't focus on resources yet. But that cycle, as we talked about it, the pendulum will swing back. And at some point, as this commodity super cycle takes off and inflation remains, you know, an ever-present part of our life, they are going to have to start looking at real assets. And we saw it in the last cycle. They were late to the party. And uh, they they therefore drove the the, the stocks even further, and, and once they started coming in with the bigger money, yeah, I, I totally agree with all of that. I, but I need to come. I need to answer this question because people watching this, they want some ideas, they want some clues, want some cues uh, where they can that are actionable, right? Which is you, you said, oh, you, you know, the stories with you know, stronger fundamentals or the better stories, right? So how do they? Look, find, identify the better stories because there's a lot of stories out there. Okay, so I take the point that mining is a small subset of all of the possible ways that you could go out and invest. You know, I think all of my all mining companies is uh, equal to Apple in size. Okay, that that puts us in context. We are, as you say, that small ball bouncing around the ocean, Alex. Um, but within that, there are good players and some not so good players. 
some people deliberately so, and others just by misfortune of, of, of circumstance. How do we spot the better ones? I mean, what, what are we looking for, Alex? Um, it's, it's easy for you. You're, you're, you've got the money you need. You don't need to raise any more money. You're getting into production, and then you know the, the cash will flow. But the, 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 the higher leverage stories that people, some people may be looking for, it's a bit harder to spot the, the goodies. So give me some, some clues to what, what's important. Well, you know, you gotta, you got to rank your, your companies, right? So you've got the producers, you've got the developers. Out of the developers, who's actually got the best chance of becoming a producer? You know, we've had some disasters in, in the gold sector. So, you know, you got to, you got to try and find the right uh, group at that level. Below there, you've got the expiration, right? And then from an expiration perspective, it's not just, you know, some nice holes that come out of various stories along the way. It's what is likely to become an economic deposit that could become a mine that could become attractive to somebody else or be put into production by that group. So, you know, you've you got to rank your stories. But, you know, if you look at, if you look at the resource sector, I don't know how many listed companies there are in Canada at the moment. Let's call it 1,500. Probably about 50 of those are worth investing in, I think. Um, and, uh, you know, you've got the Philos, right, the N NGXs that are, that are putting out some, you know, ball tear holes. Great. They're going to become real projects in the future. Obviously dated because, you know, there's a there's a lag between those drill holes and a mine, mm -hmm. um, but obviously the premise there is they're going to get taken over by a BHP or a Rio Tinto, maybe who knows. But um, you know, at the end of the day, uh, they're great stories to potentially put your money into. Um, but somebody who's drilling, you know, silver holes in Mexico or in the middle of Africa or somewhere else and getting some some nice results, you know, drill holes don't make an ore body don't make an economic deposit and don't make a mine, right? So that's the problem. And unfortunately, for some retail investors who haven't been in this game for long, they don't know how to differentiate those, right, those stories. Um, so people pile into the drill hole stories when things are going well and um, they either do well out of the flip or they, they burn their fingers. You know, so so I think you have to go through a ranking process personally. Right, made all the more difficult when we get mixed messages from miners. Okay, grade is king. Grade doesn't really doesn't matter. It doesn't affect need necessarily affect the economics. Scale is what you want. Sometimes uh, scale doesn't work for you because technically it, it's hard to actually get to the medals you want. So you kind of got and a lot and, and so on and so on. Big long list of contradicting messages about how you value, whether it be ranking uh, in whatever way you choose, form you choose. So it's got to come to, well, who do you listen to? And th this isn't a, a crux investor plea for <laughs> promotion or anything, but you know, who should they be listening to? Who should they not be listening to? There are armchair experts out there. There are newsletter writers and brokers who have slightly different business models, which doesn't necessarily involve the company doing that well. It just involves the transfer of money from, you know, retail to their pockets in, in some way, shape or form. So who should they listen to? What should they listen to, Hayden? Yeah, look, I think um, on, on Alex's point, the, the way I have approached it and what I tell people who ask me for advice is, uh, you know, you, you need to identify people who have actually worked in the industry as part of your ranking system. 
So, you know, those people who have got experience either in geology or mining or metallurgy or ideally all three and have been involved in, and bear the scars of having taken a company from a discovery through to, you know, construction and in, into a mine because they'll be able to give you a very quick read. Look, this is worth spending time on. This is not. And, you know, everybody knows somebody who's worked in the mining industry. And short of that, there are there are plenty of good analysts um, at various broking houses who have come from a mining background who can give a good read for that. And then it's about talking to as many people as you can, in my opinion, getting, you know, differing views on it. Um, you've got to do the work. And, uh, you know, there's and then thinking about companies, uh, you know, some very wise old investors have told me that their first thing that they look for is a management team. The, the people are the most important part of a business for them before they even get into whether whatever it is will work. Uh, and so they, they spend a lot of time understanding the people that they're going to be investing behind, especially at the junior end of, of mining. See, what, why but, I... But just coming, sorry, just coming back to what you were saying, Matthew, in respect to, um, you know, who to look for for advice. That's a big issue, and that's part of this noise that I talk about because if you look at Twitter and you look at some of the people that are on there promoting stories and talking about various companies, et cetera, woeful, woeful. And, and pushing their own barrel. Sorry? And pushing their own. Well, most of, most of them are, are making money out of bringing the sheep in and getting out while the sheep are coming in. They're getting out themselves personally, right? So that happens a lot. But the other thing is they're just clueless, right? They're just clueless. And, and I could name probably half a dozen of them uh, that I've seen on Twitter that obviously I won't mention here. But, um, you know, that's the issue. There's a lot of noise out there. And unfortunately, those people have followers. So not only do you have to rank and differentiate your, uh, your mining stocks or, or stories, you have to differentiate and rank your, um, your promoters right, that are out there, the independent groups. But, um, you know, the, look, we, we talked about it earlier, the fact that there's more of these sorts of um, uh, video interviews, et cetera, on various platforms, not only on this platform, but on various platforms, that's a good way, you know, when you see somebody that you may not never get to meet in person because, you know, everybody's all over the world. It's a good way of seeing how that person addresses questions, how that person is interrogated by the interviewer, et cetera, et cetera. And that helps people, I think, visually make uh, an, an impression about what they're potentially going to invest in. I, I agree with that. And I, I think, and by the way, th do, do feel free to just kind of riff off of each other. You don't Sorry. need to wait for questions from me. I'm very happy to sit back and listen. Um, but the... This is the bit I love uh, about what we do because I get access to guys like you who've been there, done it, created real value, not talked about it, but I'm working with, with teams of people who've actually delivered. Because I know from you guys off, off camera, you know what good looks like and what bad looks like. You, you know, Alex, you're saying maybe there's 50 investable companies on the, on the Canadian exchange. Uh, and maybe you're, you're right. Um, on, on that, it's, it's certainly a very small number. Um, but you, you can see which teams will work, which teams won't work. You tell me about it, uh, well in advance, or you tell me some of the problems, not you, but some, some of the CEOs that I, I, I also, uh, respect. 
Because it's obvious to industry players. If you've built a mine, you know what problems can and can't go wrong. If you've built a mine, you know when someone's making something up. But for retail, it's really, really difficult because we get this kind of facade put up by the companies, the storytelling. Um, and it's difficult to kind of cut through that without the technical knowledge and now some know-how. So I take your point, Hayden, very seriously. And I, th I think other people should too, which is, You've got to listen to people who have done it before, not learn on the point job. Alex's is a really, really good one. Independence. Why are they giving you the information that they're giving you? Can you trust that they're giving you a truly independent, unbiased view, or are they telling you something in order to benefit themselves? That's the real risk of the social media world that we live in. Uh, you know, it's useful to point you in the right direction. There are some exceptional guys on Twitter who are remarkably good at calling you know, uh, things to buy into. Um, now, I, I treat that with a degree of, a healthy degree of scepticism. Uh, the vast majority um, are, are would, I would say, doing things for their own personal motives. And so it's important to have a, you know, you do your DD on those people that you talk to. Right. Well, let's talk about, let's, so, 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 so my point would be, it'd be great. You, you know who they are, Alex. You would love to call them out, but it's not worth the aggro, right? And I've when, I re when I retire... I'm going to start up a platform called Cut the Bullshit. Oh, and, yes. Uh, First and, subscriber uh, here. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I'll start calling people out. Because I, 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 I actually, when I started on Twitter, I, I got a bit uh, active on certain things. And I, I got a barrage of people all over the top of me saying, you're a CEO of a mining company. How can you be, you know, critical of anybody else who's a CEO of a mining company? And you, how come you spend time here on Twitter? You should be out there working and 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 adding value to your company. I mean, it's, so so the minute somebody with a lot, you know, forty years of experience and background says something, boom. But then if some idiot, and there's lots of idiots on Twitter who who have got lots of followers, says something, oh, you know, that's you know, Fred just said this and, and you know, we should all be paying attention to Fred because, well, he's just a wonderful person, you know. Um, but he's considered, see, when a CEO speaks up, we're considered to be non-independent. It's like we're trying to poo on somebody to make our story look better. That's not the case at all. It's trying to help people. And and I do, I do a lot of um, um, feedback privately. Um, because people reach out to me on Twitter privately and, and say, well, what do you think of this story? And I give it to them privately because they, they, they're owed that, you know, from somebody who's got some experience. Yeah, and, I'd like, and I've been the beneficiary of some of that advice, so I, I, I appreciate it as well. I mean, Hayden, um, will, will you be subscribing to um, cutthebullshit.com? 100 <laughs> 100%. percent be the, the inaugural subscriber. Right. <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> You're now going to have to go and buy that because someone will, listening to this will go off and buy that. Um, right. <laughs> I want to talk about one more topic, which is a little bit hot and heated and it's polarizing. And we've talked about it a few times, Alex, which is this whole uh, notion of uh, ESG is you, you go work, you go broke and, and, and so forth. You're, you're from the camp. Look, we've always, miners have always had to tr do the things which is, is wrapped up in ESG to be able to get a project over the line. But this is a new wrapper for it. So, am I unfairly describing your view of ESG? Yes. Okay. Go on um, then. Go on and cut the bullshit. Come on, let's go. Uh, look, I think I you know, <laughs> call it CSR, call it whatever you want. Over the last, you know, 
40 years that I've been in the business, it's always been there. I mean, you, you know, environment, social and governance um, are, are keys to success, right? And in different phases, I mean, in the case of my team, we've built two mines before in Peru. We've covered all those off. We're doing the same in Chile. We wandered into Chile four years ago, didn't know anything about the country, and here we are. We're building a mine four years later. I think that's quite an achievement. Um, and because we have our understanding of what's needed for all those. Now it's pushed out to the front where you have to talk about it and market it in a big way. And I'm thinking, because I'm seeing all these big companies do it, put out press releases about ESG report, ESG report, you know, ESG seminar, ESG this, ESG that. There must be some pressure, I guess, from investors. I, I haven't heard of it. You know, I haven't seen it. I haven't had any investors say to me, well, you know, we're not investing in your company until you have this big ESG profile. But, um, you know, we're doing our thing. Um, there are really good tools right now available to companies like us. We're using a tool called Onion, O-N-Y-E-N. Um, so it's an app that um, a company can uh, put in place, put all their ESG reporting into that, not have a special report, put it all in there, and people can interrogate the um, the um, the app uh, externally. So that's something we're building up as a company ourselves. But it's just, you know, it's to me, it's, it's just been overblown. I don't know where the end of this is going to happen. But, uh, um, you know, like I say, uh, ESG has been a part of the mining business forever. And, and uh, you know, hopefully it's, this is not going to drain a lot of management time and energy away from doing what you have to do from the point of view of operating and building a mine or, you know, uh, getting a you know, developing a mine, you know, so. Right, but, but in a meaningful way, you've, you've, you've raised your money, you're, you're, you're funded through to production. Um, in a meaningful way, I guess it doesn't matter for you anymore, or, or, or does it? Because, no, no, hang on, wait, wait, but why, why doesn't it matter for me? Well, in terms of the ability to go and raise capital, if you've got, if, you, if you're saying... Um, so yeah, but, but once again, you know, I, we've, we've raised some capital up until now. We've got, you know, bankers and, and, and we've got a, a big um, streamer involved in, in what we're doing. I mean, I haven't had, as, as a company, I haven't had a lot of pressure from any of those and also the investors that put in some, some equity to, to, to have a, you know, massive ESG program. Obviously, the question has come up, what are you doing from an ESG perspective? We've been able to put that on the table, just like we have been able to do over the many years that we've been in this business, and they're satisfied. All I'm saying is it seems to be really put out there, and I don't know who it's placating. I, I don't know who it's, who it's placating. That's my, my question. Well, yeah, and I, I guess sort of to Elon Musk's um, point, um, you know, I, I don't think he's necessarily a big fan because it, he doesn't think it's actually being measured properly, so therefore it's, it, he's therefore in, in an ineffective uh, measure. So, I mean, but for you, Hayden, you're, you're kind of going, th going through the process at the moment, the feasibility study to come, et cetera. You, you've got to pay careful attention to that, one, because the funding component, but two, obviously, the ESG and everything that it, it, it pertains to it is it's really important for you to be able to get your project 
into production, you know, on the ground, as it were. You've got to get that local support, et cetera. So are you finding it a distraction? Is it a cost to you? Um, would you rather it wasn't there? Uh, well, no, similar to Alex, I think that it's always been in the mining industry and it's becoming more to the forefront. P- potentially slightly different take on it to Alex is that, you know, as a relatively new entrant to the mining industry, I look at it as almost catering for the lowest common denominator. We're not we're not targeting tier one management teams like Alex and his team who have done it all before and know, and this has always been at the forefront of their mind, we're catering for the, for the groups who don't focus on this in the way that they should and therefore uh, provide mining with a bad name. Because if you look at mining in general, it's a very small number of issues that give us the terribly bad name that we have as an industry. Um, it's not the... It's not the um, it's not the general consensus of the mining industry that ESG is not, you know, not a focus. It's always been there. So for us, yes, it's taking more management time. Um, again, like Alex, we're using some new technology that allows us to kind of short circuit that a little bit to uh, make it more efficient for us, especially as a non-producing company. The, you know, the reality is our ESG framework should be much, much less rigorous than they will be once you get in, although there's still some rigor. So we're using Digby for ours, which allows us to give us a scorecard and show where we're doing well, points to gaps, tells us what we might need to do in the future. But you know, I'm quite similar to Alex. When I started in the in in the industry, you know, we were already talking about social license to operate and in, and the importance of environmental management back then. Um, it's not that it's new; it's just that I think the world is enforcing on those groups that would potentially try to. Uh, circumnavigate the rules uh, that, that's a requirement now in order to get the capital. Right. And obviously the the next part of the conversation inevitably leads to uh, sorry, the, the, this conversation inevitably leads to uh, jurisdictional risk. Well, I think one of you's touched upon that al- already today. Um, we've we've having the topic around um, Chile um, and trying to, I'm trying to wonder is, is Chile any more investable or less investable than any other mining jurisdiction in the world? I mean, your, your take on that, Alex? Well, I think it's one of the better. I mean, one of the things uh, uh, we've been doing as a company is we've been looking at M&A opportunities and we've broadcast that over the last four years since we've been in business. Um, And we've looked at projects in North America in different parts, different states. I won't mention the states. But when you look at the gestation period for a mining project in in some of those states, it's, it's five years, right, from the time you've got an ore body to the time you want to build a mine. And so, um, you know, it's a process you have to go through in, in, in those particular states and you've got state and federal uh, requirements. Um, in Chile, for example, we've, we're in, at the end of our EIA process, hopefully in the not too distant future, and it's coming. Uh, I can tell people that are interested, um, you know, we're waiting for our approval and it's coming shortly. Um, but when you look at the process we've been through, we started the EIA, we filed our EIA in April of 2020. It's now May of 2022. That's just over two years, right? And um, what I have to say is for the first seven months, we went into a hiatus because of COVID. Uh, by a hi- hiatus, I mean that the authorities in Chile put their pens down and wouldn't evaluate any new submissions because they didn't know how to handle that from working from home and all that sort of thing. So for seven months, we were off the radar. So really, take seven months off of 24 months 
you're at 17 months. So let's call it 18 months. If we get our EIA approved in the next month or so, that'll be an 18-month process. That 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 is moving pretty fast and we've pushed pretty hard. So from a Chile perspective, what we're demonstrating is that, yes, it's been open for business. It's still open for business because we've, we're now doing this over a change of government. Um, and... Um, we will have done it in a, in a pretty quick time frame. And I think Hayden will be encouraged by hearing that uh, because he's going to be launching into that in the not-too-distant future. So, um, yeah, I, I think Chile is a great place to do business. It's open for business. Um, certainly there are some quirks in Chile, you know, labour-wise, um, culture-wise, et cetera, that we, we have to uh, understand and embrace and work within. But, um, you know, I, I think it's a great place to do business. Hayden, that, that's encouraging, isn't it? Yeah. But no, you, you probably already completely. knew that. Yeah, agree completely. It's, it is a really good place to do business despite the headlines. And, you know, I think for all the investors tuning in, you know, you do really have to look not just at the geopolitical, you know, just, not just at the country as a whole and, you know, lump them all in as one single risk because there are specific risks in different areas of countries. You know, if you're in the middle of a desert where there's nobody around and, you know, you're not impacting anyone, then the likelihood is you're going to have a shorter timeline to, you know, somebody who's very close to a, you know, large regional area as an example. So, you know, I think you've got to look on it a case-by-case, project-specific basis. Okay. I'll just finish up here because I think we've got a lot of new... Uh, subscribers who've come in from the technology um, space are wandering around trying to understand the vocabulary, the um, you know what they should be looking at, trying to understand you know who's what's what good looks like, etc. Uh, your 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 final words of advice to them, Alex, um, as sort of the great uninitiated uh, and unwashed. What should what what would you say they should be doing? Sit back, take your time before you dive in, or are there opportunities for them now? Take your time. You know, take your time, do your research. As I say on Twitter, do your DD, right? There's different ways of being able to do DD, right? There's different people you can reach out to um, either publicly or privately on, on, on platforms like Twitter, etc. So just take your time, analyse the situation, see what's happening, to the majors, see what's happening to the junior producers, see what's happening to the developers, understand the, try and understand the dynamic there and, um, you know, pick, pick your moment. You know, um, you know, as Hayden was saying, you know, people are sitting on money now when they probably should be investing, but that's just the mentality of everybody right now and uh, I think there's a lot of people scared. So for me, it's just take your time. Okay. And, and Hayden, same? Yeah, exactly. I think... You know, for me, what was important in assessing projects that I've invested in is finding a mentor who is, I know personally, who I know is independent, who will give me that good advice. Um, Hopefully somebody who's got a lot of experience and, you know, as Alex says, sometimes things are expensive, but as we're seeing right now, things become cheap quickly for no reason other than people getting scared. So, you know, there, there will be opportunities and being patient is the key. Okay, well, look, folks, I think we'll wrap it up there. So if you're interested in companies with good, strong fundamentals, these two um, uh, tick every box for me. So Marimaka Copper um, with Hayden, obviously, and Alex's Rio 2, uh, well worth having a look. And I'm sure 
If you'd like to ask some advice, both of them will be available for comments. Uh, do feel free to email them. Okay, thanks, gentlemen. See you soon. Thanks, thanks Dan. Dan.